The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Our test is in the stands! But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna freeze Wait! <laughs> Welcome to the Points of the Paint podcast presented by Stadium. We are Stadium's NBA podcast. I'm Ben Wittenstein. And I am Zach Badgerhouse in the house. You know, Stadium's number one NBA podcast. Number one NBA podcast. We are in the depths, in the middle of the NBA finals, Zach. Yeah. We have. Lots to talk about for the NBA Finals. Giannis winning his first ever NBA Finals game. So congratulations mm-hmm. to him for that. The Bucks winning their first NBA Finals game since 1974. Oh, I don't know what wait. you were doing in 1974, but I was not <laughs> existing in 1974. So it's been a while for the Bucks. Yeah, it was like 10. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't even thought of. <laughs> so it has been a long time for the Bucks coming for them uh, to win an NBA Finals game. So they are now down 2-1 to one in the series, so we'll talk all about them. we got a guest coming up, Kyle Carr, who is from Brew Hoop, yeah. from that uh, SB Nation Milwaukee Bucks page um, from Brew Hoop. So we are excited to talk to him. He's going to have a lot of good things to say. So a great show coming up, Zach. Yes. And we are uh, talking about Game 4. We can recap Game 3. Um, so let's start with Game 3, because this was the first game the Bucks won of the series to make it 2-1. to one. Yep. They they uh, were able to miss out on the dreaded down 3-0 in a series spot, um, and being down 2-1 to one is so much different, so much different feeling for them mm-hmm. to be down 2-1 to one instead of being down 3-0. They were able to go home, get the win at home, a convincing win, too. This wasn't, you know, a last-second shot. This wasn't down to the wire. This was the Bucks in command for most of the second half, and this, Zach, was the team that I'm guessing you thought of when you said Bucks in six. And the Bucks now look like that actually could be uh, an option now for them to win in six. Oh, yeah. Well, seven. Bucks in seven. And okay. uh, I think what I like, what I like the most, honestly, was Giannis. You know, of course, 41 points. You know, he just took control of the game, was aggressive, getting to the free throw line. 13 of 17 from the free throw line. That's like 77%. So I was just in all praise for Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak. But he did get some supporting help. I do got to say that. You know, Chris Middleton stepped up, got 18 points. He didn't get 20. And I know a lot of people were upset, including myself. If you're yeah. a betting individual, you were counting on <laughs> Chris Middleton to get 20 points. And he oh, did no. not do that. However, I will say this. You got to give a lot of credit, Ben, 
to the to my main man, Drew Holiday. He stepped yeah. up in this in this series. You know, he has not been productive offensively for the Milwaukee Bucks, and that changed in game three. He was knocking down the three ball with confidence. He was five for ten from three-point line. Drew Holiday had 21 points. He was on the glass with six boards, you know, giving out the dimes too, seven assists. And Giannis was, you know, feeding guys too, getting guys involved. Got Bobby Portis involved, giving him some confidence. And, you know, that really showed that they really wanted that game and kind of took it to him with two different runs throughout the game, a six 16-0 run, and I believe like a 17-2 run at, at 1.2 throughout the game. So I was very pleased with what I saw from the Milwaukee Bucks. How do you feel about Phoenix, though, on the other side? Phoenix looked tough. They they looked like they were in a tough spot. Devin Booker played 29 minutes. He did not look like his old self at all. He was nope. shooting poorly from three, shooting poorly from the field. And I think Monty Williams just sat him for most of that fourth quarter simply because he was playing so poorly and so bad. Uh, they didn't have any help uh, behind DeAndre Ayton on the bench, and that's going to be an issue for them without Dario Saric because he's out for the for the rest of the series with an ACL tear. They do not have the big man to help out Ayton if Ayton has to go to the bench, and we saw Ayton get into foul trouble in the second trouble, half. Yes. Three fouls, four fouls, got up to five fouls. And they had to put in Zach. They had to put in Frank Kaminsky. Frank now, the Tank. <laughs> I don't usually watch NBA games to laugh. I don't see them as comedy usually. But I was laughing when Frank Kaminsky had to go into that game. The man was scared. The man could not <laughs> shoot a shot if he oh, was open. He, he, got, he had an opportunity on a pick and roll. He was wide open down the lane. Chris Paul had a nice feed into him in the middle of the paint. And what did Kaminsky do with a wide open basket in front of him? He pivoted. And he kicked it out. He kicked it out to a teammate. He did this like twice, maybe three times when he had an opportunity to shoot the ball. He had an open lane. He was scared, terrible on the defensive end. So the Suns are going to have to figure that part out because that is a glaring weakness right now. Without Saric, they do not have any big man help other than DeAndre Ayton. And so if DeAndre Ayton gets into foul trouble, which he may very well again because the honest is just going to keep pounding it inside. I mean, every basket that he scored was inside of the paint in game three. And if Aiton gets into foul trouble again, the Suns are in trouble because they have no way to stop a bigger Milwaukee Bucks team down low. No way to stop them from getting points. No way to stop them from getting rebounds. I, I don't know how they uh, defend that or what, what they do if Aiton gets into foul trouble again. Well, the rebounds, it was they were, it was tighter than probably than people would imagine. However, I will say this. When you got the bodies of a Bobby Portis and a Brooke Lopez and a Giannis Antetokounmpo, all at the same time, you know, that's rotating in the lineup and your best big man is going to be DeAndre Aiden. And then a huge fall off with Frank the Tank. You got to keep giving those minutes to whoever you can find on that bench if you're Monty Williams. You know, a guy who stepped up despite the loss, Cameron Johnson. He, uh, he came yeah. into the game for the Phoenix Suns and provided a spark and tried to even get them to even climb back and reduce that lead that the Milwaukee Bucks had when it got out to about 17-18. Cameron Johnson came in the game, gave them a huge spark, had a highlight play, which we'll talk about later. And, you know, it kind of gave the Phoenix Suns a little bit momentum in the third before that second run that the Milwaukee Bucks had to close out that third quarter. Yeah, they definitely have the players. I mean, we talked about them last week being so balanced and mm -hmm. they can really attack you from every spot on the floor and having the personnel to be able to 
step in and, and defend most positions and to attack from different ways, but they just did not look that way in game three. And then this was a game that we expected to come. And Monty Williams said it in his post game. He said, we expected a game like this from the Bucks. We expected a game like this from ourselves and we just weren't prepared for it. We weren't prepared to counterattack the Bucks. And it showed the Bucks played the game that, that we know them to play and what got them to the finals. And that was Giannis being dominant. He was getting help from Drew Holiday. He was getting help from Chris Middleton. Um, they were shooting the ball fairly well from three, at least in the second half. And they looked pretty good on defense. And that's really all they need. And, and if the Bucs are able to do that consistently, which they aren't, but if they can do that consistently, they're going to win the finals. They're going to win the NBA finals if they can do that consistently. And the big problem all season long for the Bucs has been, can they do that consistently? <laughs> and usually the answer is no, Zach. Um, but if they can continue into game four with the home crowd behind them, uh, I think they have a shot. And and the thing I think about, too, with the Bucks being home, and we know they're a much better team playing at home. When they're at the, when they're at, yep. And I think the reason behind this is they don't really have a vocal leader. We saw Giannis being vocal sometimes and yelling at his teammates when they were down in game two. Yep. But he's not really their vocal leader. He, he kind of keeps to himself and he does what he has to do. They don't really have a leader on that team. Budenholzer is not a coach that's going to start screaming at guys and, and getting them riled up. Drew Holiday's not the most vocal of a leader. And this is his first season with the team. You know, he's not the guy everyone looks towards. And Chris Middleton's not really that leader type of player that's going to start getting the troops right. rallied and everything like that. So who do they rely on on the road to get them hyped up, to get them focused, to get them centered? It's a struggle, I'm sure, on the road. But at home, you have the crowd behind you. You have that energy that usually a team leader comes and, and attacks you with. But now with the Bucks not having anyone like that, they really feed off that crowd. And I think that's why the, them playing at home and why they're so good at home is a big reason because of that, because they take the crowd as, as their vocal leader, as their energizing leader, because they really don't have anyone on the bench that can do that. Okay, I like that point. That's a there's a very good point that you point out right there in regards to like the crowd being there, you know, their sixth man, if you will, if you're you know the Milwaukee yeah. Bucks. But hey, unless the Milwaukee Bucks fans can get ten thousand tickets or five thousand tickets to go yeah. down to the valley, you know, then in that case, then you know, because obviously if they're gonna win the series, they gotta win one in Phoenix. And so yeah. in order to do that, unless the Milwaukee Bucks is gonna you know, go out and buy 5,000 tickets for their fans <laughs> to go down to the valley, yeah. you know, that's going to be very difficult to do. And so they're going to have to find someone, you know, throughout this series that's going to, you know, step up and be that vocal leader that we're looking for on that Milwaukee Bucks team. And on the other side, if you're the Phoenix Suns, Devin Booker has to play better. You cannot has be to. four for 14 from the field. And I, I also feel like this too, Ben, Monty Williams kind of, you know, he I feel like he threw the white flag early in the game. Yes. You know, it was about five or six minutes left in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you're down about, you know, 18 points, but this is the finals. You know, you better at least put let those guys stay out there at least to the three minute mark. Like, don't call it quits because you never know what a player can do or what can transpire within a three minute, you know, process on you know if you guys can step up on on defense if you're the phoenix suns and stop this team in the fourth quarter and apply pressure offensively and make some shots and get guys in foul trouble on the milwaukee Bucks side then you could possibly still be in the game but monty williams i felt like you know kind of threw the white flag you know surrender kind of early in that fourth quarter midway and then also not playing devin booker as much either in that fourth was a huge reason as well yeah, I, I was equally surprised. I, I was kind of amazed that he kept Booker out 
so long in that fourth quarter because there were chances for them to come back. It was, you know, they were down 15, 16, getting up to 17, but that's not unattainable. That's a, at least if you put Booker in, he can help make it a game. At the very exactly. least, you can maybe lose by single digits instead of double digits and feel better about yourself and and feel like you still have control over parts of the game. But he didn't do any of that. And I, I don't I don't necessarily agree that the finals is the right time to be sending a message to players uh, because the stakes are so high. Uh, that might be something you address in the offseason if you don't like the way a player is playing in a game or, or you think they're exhibiting something you disagree with or don't like as a coach. I don't know if the finals is the right time to start trying to teach players a lesson, especially the caliber of Devin Booker, who can go off at any time, who can trigger the offense whenever he wants. It just it seemed weird to me that he did wave that white flag basically at the end of the third quarter when the Bucks went on that 16-0 run. So moving in the game four, like, what do you expect to see from a Devin Booker? You know, do you expect to see a more aggressive Devin Booker in game four? Yeah, I would think so. I would I would hope we see a more aggressive Devin Booker. I think he needs to be more aggressive. He needs to be better shooting wise. And if he wants to be a superstar in this league, you can't have a finals game where you just score 10 points and, and can't yes. hit any shots. You can't do that. You can't be a superstar and consider yourself a superstar and have that poor of a performance. So he needs to be able to be aggressive. He needs to be able to get more involved in the offense. He can't let some defensive aggressiveness get the better of him. Um, so he needs to play better in all facets. And I think the Suns, they didn't shoot that well from three in this yep. game like they normally do. So I think they will progress towards the mean in that area. They'll probably shoot a little better. Okay. Um, and I don't know if Giannis goes and shoots 17 free throws again. I don't know if he goes 13 for 17 from the line and yeah. <laughs> outshoots the Suns at the free throw line. Like I, I don't know if that happens again. So those two put together and we may see a, a closer game. Uh, Chris Paul will play a better game. I don't think Aiton will get into foul trouble again unless the Bucks really start to attack Aiton down low, which is certainly a possibility. He's still a young player. He can get into foul trouble, but I don't know if he gets those quick of fouls again. So with the Bucks or with the Suns being able to not have to sit Aiton, Booker playing better, Giannis not getting to the line as much, we're going to see most likely a more even game. For me, Ben, game four, if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, in terms of defense, you got to keep that same strategy you brought out there yes. in game three. They did not switch as much or as frequently as they did in the first two games, Ben. And it was a huge difference defensively for the Bucks. I mean, huge difference because there was no switching on Brooke Lopez being on Chris Paul or Devin Booker. Like, Drew Holiday stayed the course. Whichever ball handler he was guarding, he stayed the course. Chris Middleton, same thing. Whichever whichever guard he PJ Tucker too, whichever guard they were guarding, they they maintained their their assignment. And that's what you like to see if you're the Milwaukee Bucks. No weird switches where there's disadvantage. And like Dave said last week on the podcast, if you haven't seen that of uh, Dave King interview, go check that out on YouTube and also listen to that last interview uh, wherever you get your podcast to as well. <laughs> now, <laughs> that being said, yes. Like he mentioned, if you if you don't if you don't want your center or big man to be abused every single time by Chris Paul, then you avoid the switch. And that's exactly what they did. And I was super happy. I was so proud for Mike Budenholzer to do yeah. that because it, it, we always talk about no adjustments time and no. time again. And so in game four, I want to see that same momentum defensively that they put out there on the Phoenix Suns. It's like a, it's like a little kid when you're trying to teach him to color inside the lines. They just don't understand that they need to stay inside <laughs> the lines. And finally, one day 
They get it. They stay inside, inside the lines. The, lines. the picture looks great. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, it worked. He did it. He did the thing he needed to do. Yes. So it's impressive that Budenholzer was able to make adjustments. And even in that first half, too, we saw the Suns win that first quarter. The Suns yes, won the did. first quarter against the Bucks, and their pick and roll play with Aiton and, and Chris Paul was good. The Suns, as we saw in game one and two, they struggled with that pick and roll. They just did not know how to guard it. And then second quarter comes, second half comes, and Budenholzer amazingly made adjustments. He made adjustments on the fly in the middle of a game, something we don't often see from Budenholzer. And I think that was a huge key for the Bucs as they learned to start defending the pick and roll better. They got Aiton into foul trouble, which was huge. Yes. I don't know if that was a game plan or if that was by accident. Either way, I think they need to start attacking him again in Mm -hmm. game four because, like we said, if he's out, who are they going to have to defend Giannis? Who are they going to have to defend Brooke Lopez at the rim? I just, I don't know. I don't know if there's a right answer for that. You can't start throwing Jay Crowder on him. Kaminsky needs to never see the court again in this entire He, he will, and I, he probably will. He absolutely <laughs> will, which is unfortunate for the Suns. Um, but we're going to see more Frank Kaminsky. Great for me. I get to laugh at it because it's just hilarious to see him play against the Bucks big men. So, that's going to be something to really watch in game four is how the Bucks attack Aiton and if they continue to just go inside. Uh, Giannis took two threes, and I think one of them was just in garbage time. So he took one three basically when it mattered. And that's what you want. If he can take one three, yes. happy, happy for that. No no more five three-point games. No more six <laughs> three-point games. Let Giannis play inside the paint. That's where he does best, and that's where he's going to be the most aggressive and the most dangerous. Lots of pick and roll. That's what I like to see. That's what I want to look to see in game four. Lots of pick and roll between him and Chris Middleton with him flashing real quick off the screen and rolling to the rim, you know, as fast as he was getting, getting away from Jay Crowder, getting away from Aiden, you know, getting to the rim as quick as quickly as he could. And so I was happy for that. And I want to see that again in game four, less, less on ball Giannis, more off ball Giannis attacking the rim. That's what they're going to need for game four. Yeah, we saw a lot less one-on-ones with Giannis, which I thought was great. He had the tendency to just kind of be a vortex, and and he got the ball in a black hole, and it would never come out. And that was a problem in game two, because it, it didn't allow Drew Holiday to get going. It didn't allow Chris Middleton to get going. And very clearly, he needs both of those guys to start hitting their shots. And Drew Holiday had struggled all finals. And I was calling him Eric Bledsoe in text. <laughs> it was the Spider-Man meme where, you know, Eric yes. Bledsoe and <laughs> Drew Holiday are pointing point. at each other. <laughs> it wasn't a good look for him. And he came out and he showed up. He needed to exactly do what he did, score some points, um, facilitate the offense. And that's what he did. And Middleton showed up. He scored his 18 to 20 points. Sorry, he didn't get 20 for your wallet, but he scored <laughs> in that range is what he needs to do. And that's that's all it is. That's it's a simple formula. And Giannis may not score 40 a night, but they didn't need him to score 40 to win this game. He could have scored 30 points. He could have gone 30 and 10. You have Middleton score is 18. You have Drew score 15 to 20. That's it. That's the recipe for success for the Bucs. Yes. You know, if you can get someone to score 20, 25 with Giannis getting his 30 and then, you know, obviously one of the one of the third guys come up and get a 15 to 20 point game, which they did, then it works out. It definitely works out. How can we make some people some money, though? Yes, let's let's make some people some money. And then we have stat of the week. So it'll be exciting. We got a lot to go. So let's make some people some money, Zach. So we're looking at game four coming up. And again, that is going to be on Wednesday. So when this podcast comes out, it's going to be tomorrow. And currently the line for this game uh, really hasn't changed much from game three. And it is 
Milwaukee's favored by four and a half, minus four and a half, over under at 220. If you're like me and you bet 220 for game three is the over under, you got the very sad push, got that bet voided because it hit exactly <laughs> 220. Uh, so that was unfortunate because Jordan Wara, I think, hit that three with like 10 seconds left to to make it a uh, 220 total. <laughs> Honestly, that was just unfortunate. Um, I, so I kind of like the Bucks again in this game. Me too. Um, but spread wise, if this goes up to plus five for the Suns, I think I would hit it at plus five or more. Because it's currently if it's at minus four, four and, and a half. half I don't think I'm going to hit anyone minus four and a half. If it gets okay. down to minus four for the Bucks, I might hit that. But that four and a half is that's really iffy for me. I, I think the Suns can keep it close. They are one of the best teams. I think they are the best team in the NBA after a loss. They win 76 percent of their games after a loss. So okay. if you're feeling confident, you want to hit that plus 160 money line for the Suns. I think the statistics for the season back you up on that. Um, but they right now are plus plus four and a half. I don't know what uh, what you're thinking about this one, Zach. Listen, because you know my same game parlays be atrocious sometimes. But I got to tell you about any, any parlay is atrocious. <laughs> you you know I know that. <laughs> but I have to tell you a parlay that did hit that I did see someone hit, and they made sure to tag me in it too. Why did someone bet Drew Holiday and Jake Crowder? To both make five threes. Oh my God. For a dollar and won a thousand dollars. I was so frustrated because who thinks to make that sort of bet, Ben? Five threes know. from Jay Crowder and Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday has stunk up the joint this series. So maybe yeah. someone was feeling lucky, feeling like he was overdue for a good game. And when that's, you know, that's the kind of game he had where he was five for 10 from deep. And Jay Crowder also had five threes. Man, I couldn't believe someone. So if so, that's the type of bet. If you're a betting person, you know, if you're feeling confident, pay attention to some of those sort of bets. You see yeah. bets like that, you know, servicing around. Pay attention to those. You may get lucky and lock one in. And the thing I would suggest too, which it killed me for Game Three, is right when the lines come out, hit the total. So if okay. you Look at the totals. So if you think it's too high, bet the under. If you think it's too low, bet the over immediately. Don't wait for the line to move if you can. Because okay. I think the, the game three total was at one point it was like 222, 222 and a half. And it went all the way down to 220 and it ended up being 220. So if you had it at 221, you had it at 222, it, you won if you got the under. So I wouldn't say hit the spread early on um, because the spread's going to move and we're going to get – you know, injury news and we may you just don't know what happens with the players. But for the over under, hit that early if you can would be my suggestion for something like that. All right. Or player props too. player props, Chris Middleton is on a uh, up and down basis for me. He'll have a good game, then he'll have a bad game, then he'll have a good game, then a bad game. So Giannis that, thirty for me, in the is win how I bet for game. Yeah, two. Giannis thirty yeah. points. The players double. There you go. If you you looking to make some money, Giannis thirty plus points and a W for the Milwaukee Bucks. His uh, total is twenty four and a half for game four. Okay. Twenty four and a half. As someone who bet Chris Middleton in game three, Zach, twenty four and a half is that too high? For Chris Middleton, twenty four and a half. That's his over under. Hammer the under. <laughs> Hammer to under. He's been disappointing, man. Hammer to under. That that means he's going to get 27 now. <laughs> you might get on your phone right now and start hammering that during the middle of the podcast. <laughs> 
Yeah, Middleton's at 24 and a half. Giannis is at 34 and a half. Okay. Uh, Devin Booker, if you're thinking a bounce back game for Devin Booker, 27 and a half at this point as we record on this Monday afternoon. So, again, these could change by the time this comes out Tuesday morning, but it probably won't change too much. And and we're going to start to see these numbers move a lot more Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday morning, things like that as we get more news and people start betting this game more. But that's our suggestion to to everyone. And I know people love to hit the DeAndre Ayton double-double. That's kind of been the hot prop bet. He did not hit I wanna that. Say, yeah, I want to say I want to say something about that because I had a lot of people <laughs> reach out to me disappointed. But I, you can't blame – look, look, listen. They can't blame me, Ben. It's not my fault DeAndre Aiden went out there and got in foul trouble and had five fouls and couldn't be on the glass in game three and only ended up with like seven or eight rebounds instead yeah. of ten. I apologize for that. However, <laughs> I don't think <laughs> he'll be in that type of foul trouble and he'll get those 10 rebounds that we're all hoping and, and uh, looking for for game four. So here's the interesting thing, too, here. He was one rebound away from a double-double. Okay. He, was in, he was in foul trouble. Uh, Chris Paul was one assist away from a double-double. Mm. And we see how the Suns shot 29% from three. And he shot pretty well from the field, 48% in general from the field. But if you think the Suns can start hitting a little bit more shots, maybe a couple more from three, and if you're able to, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, double-double parlay. I know you like your parlays. Ooh, you the parlays. You. But if you just like Chris Paul to get a double-double, it's plus it's plus 150. And he was one That's away. Yeah, yeah, he was one away in game three. So if we're looking at any player props, I think that Chris Paul to get a double-double – Plus 150 is really good value since he almost got it in game three. And that is a game that everyone on the Suns really played poorly except for Chris Paul. So if he's going to be able to dish out more assists and people are going to be able to hit a couple more threes, they're going to they're going to progress towards the mean and hitting three point shots. That might be the move. Yes. Chris Paul double double. All right. Stand of the week. One, two, three, four. Five. <laughs> Zach, what is our stat of the week? The stat of the week for this week. And you know who it's going to go to, people? It's going to go to that man that everyone continues to talk about in terms of not having any offensive skill whatsoever as it relates to playing the game of basketball. But you know what he did, Ben? My man's the Greek freak went out there and not only had one 40 point game in the game two loss, but then the game three, he got a W with the 40 point win. And that hasn't been done in back to back finals games since Shaquille O'Neal. And if he does it two more times in a row, you know who who he'd be tied with? Who would he be tied with? The guy that people considers unarguably the GOAT of basketball, Mr. Six for Six, Michael Jordan. So Giannis is in good conversation That's as crazy. it relates to NBA Finals performances. It's impressive. He he yes, is, is I don't know how many doubters he had left with how good of a player he is, but no skill. It, they it's keep hard. telling me he doesn't have any skill, Ben. That's what they keep telling me. No skill. He needs to learn how to pass out of the post. <laughs> but other than that, maybe take a summer class with Jokic, and he's he's in the clear. He's a great player after that. Hey, thirteen and seventeen when it counts the most from the free throw line. I'm just I'm just happy, okay. I'm just happy about my boy Greek. <laughs> All right, we'll go now to our interview, Kyle Carr from uh, Brew Hoop, the SB Nation 
Milwaukee Bucks page, a writer and podcaster with them. So we'll go over to Kyle Carr. We want to welcome a special guest on Points in the Paint podcast. He is the writer for Brew Hoop, where they do the podcast, everything Milwaukee Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks community, Brew Hoop. He is the co-host of the Walk in 90 podcast as well. We want to welcome Kyle Carr on to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you, man. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Thanks for, again, thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah. So let's just uh, dive right into it. You know, the Milwaukee Bucks, obviously they won last night, but you know, it's been a little journey since the last time the Milwaukee Bucks been in the NBA Finals, you know, all the way since the 70s, you know. So talk a little bit about that journey within the last, you know, five years for the Milwaukee Bucks to really get to this point. Yeah, it's kind of funny because when you look at the 2013-2014 team, which was Giannis' rookie year, that team was terrible. They had the worst record. They only won 15 games. Even the 76ers, when they were starting their process, and lost, I think, like 20-something games in a row, they still didn't have a worse record than Milwaukee Bucks. And the funny thing is that team wasn't supposed to be that bad. It just happened to fall that way. So you get new ownership. They bring in Jason Kidd. They draft Jabari Parker, and you're thinking, all right, this is going to be a star. I'm like, Jabari's going to be that guy. Giannis might be the number two. And as Giannis, like as the years goes on, and unfortunately Jabari had those two injuries, but just watching Giannis's growth, I think, coincided with the growth of the Milwaukee Bucks, not only in terms of the reputation, but how, I mean, they get a new arena, they get a new practice facility. Now they have this whole deer district that's there. The team gets better. You know, now they're bringing in guys like Bobby Porter's who's like, I want to win. I want to join a winner where back in the day, no one was going to Milwaukee to join a winner. You were going <laughs> because you needed to get a paycheck or you got traded there and you weren't happy about it. So the fact that in the last couple of years and, especially this year, just seeing the team after two great regular seasons just come up short in the playoffs and to finally break through and get to the NBA Finals. I, I think you see it with the fans in Milwaukee. You see it just with the growing attendance and just outside the stadium. People want to – people really want to give it – sorry, give a damn about this team. They want <laughs> to see it. They want it – like there's always been the diehard fans like, like myself, but there's always been those that have – I'd have been paying attention, sort of wanting to get into it, but there's no tangible reason. It's like, all right, they're going to get in the playoffs as like a seven or eight seed, and they're going to get swept or a gentleman sweep every year. They're not going to win a playoff series. So now to see the people like fully invested and even just casual people like getting onto it as well, it's kind of awesome to see. So after Milwaukee was able to re-sign Giannis, what did you personally believe that this Bucks team would be able to accomplish at that time? I had celebrated pretty hard that day without <laughs> deciding it, but at the very least, you're going to be a top three or four team in the Eastern Conference. I figured that was the bare minimum. If things go your way, you can get to the finals. If things really go your way, you can win a championship. Like I've always been of the belief that with this Bucks with the Bucks roster, and as long as you have Giannis healthy and you get the right pieces surrounding him, whether it's Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez and Drew Holiday. If you have that core, you can at least be a top three or four team to eat. No question. Hopefully winning a championship was always the goal within those five years. I think that Milwaukee can still do it, whether it's this year or sometime in the future. I still think it's possible because as we're seeing, like, if the Bucks just 
don't be a dumb team, as Charles Barkley says. They can do a lot of great things. So I, I think they can still win that title. I think they're still going to be an Eastern Conference contender. It's, I mean, it's going to be tough with uh, Brooklyn team. That will be healthier. It'll be tough with Philly if they make a big trade uh, to address some of the shortcomings that they've had. If a team like Atlanta really continues their growth as they've shown, or even just a team like uh, Miami or I would say even Washington, if like they somehow clean house on some of their older stars and bring in some new blood, it's going to be tough. But I think Milwaukee should be at the forefront and one of the, the teams to beat in the Eastern Conference. Disappointing uh, you didn't mention the Bulls in that one, but that's all right. So <laughs> they, uh, they'll get there. It's going to take a little bit longer, but they'll get there, I'm sure. <laughs> Man, I really hope so. <laughs> So, okay, let's talk a little bit about game three. We saw a Bucks game, you know, this team was against the wall, if you will. You know, their backs were against the wall in this, coming into game three. But they were able to come out, get a victory. But what did you like mostly from them offensively and defensively? Offensively, they kept it pretty simple. They gave Giannis the ball when they needed to and worked the paint when DeAndre Ayton was out especially. I think that was probably the two biggest things was getting DeAndre Ayton foul trouble allowed them to feast in the paint and get the offensive rebounds. I think they had something like 20 second-chance points uh, compared to Phoenix's two. So getting those rebounds was huge. Drew Holiday having a bounce back game was absolutely needed after his atrocious game two. Chris Middleton started pretty well, 15 points in the first half. Couldn't complain about it. He hit some shots when the Bucks' offense was stagnating, but I think it was mainly just you get the ball to Giannis, he's going to dominate anyone out there that's not DeAndre Ayton down low. And whether he's getting layups or he's getting fouled and he was converting at the free throw line, which was a really shocking thing to see. I think 13-17 is something that we haven't seen from Giannis in a long time. So just knowing that he is such a mismatch for Phoenix and there's no, they don't have an answer for him, I think, the, like I said, the closest is DeAndre Ayton, who – for some odd reason, was out for a majority of the third quarter. I understand he was in foul trouble, but even that, it felt like it was a little excessive at times. So I think that's going to be the big thing. Milwaukee's three-point shooting is finally getting to the average that they shot in the regular season. I think they're around 39%. In the regular season, the last night, they had shot 38% as well. But I would say getting the ball to Giannis and getting the second-chance points in the paint were the two biggest um, differences from games one and two to game three. The defense on DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, we saw Booker struggle. Ten points in, in game three. He was terrible shooting-wise. Uh, uh, how would you assess the defensive strategy that they have done on, on Ayton and Booker so far? On Ayton and Booker, I think it's been pretty good. Ayton's tough because if the Milwaukee goes with switching, Phoenix is smart enough to know that if they have a you know an advantage there, they get him the ball. They make the right decision. So they're, Milwaukee's doing the best it can with the switching that it has against Aiton, but Booker, I think they're doing an excellent job. I think it's kind of the same of what they're trying to do with Chris Paul is you get Drew, you get Chris Middleton just to be up in the grill, and it helped that Devin Booker, I think, took some kind of contested, not ideal shots in the flow of Phoenix's offense, especially when that ball is moving. It's, there are times where it just got the Booker and you automatically shot it, which, for Milwaukee, that might not be the worst thing in the world, especially when Jay Crowder is shooting lights out and you have Cam Johnson, that's always a threat. So, I mean, Booker struggled. I don't think he's going to struggle this badly in future games, but I think the Bucks, what they're trying to do in terms of being aggressive with him has paid off, especially after game one when it was, he was getting all the free throws in the world. And he was, it's like they're still staying aggressive, and that's encouraging to see. Like I said with Aiton, 
he's just a good dude. Like, it's tough unless you have Brooke Lopez out there and maybe P.J. Tucker, at least P.J. Tucker size-wise, won't get bullied around. But I think they're trying to do the best. They throw a couple different looks. And if Phoenix finds a way to get eight in the ball, you just hope that you can contest the shot well enough during the miss. <laughs> so what did you see throughout game three that can be successful for the Bucks to win this whole finals? It Well, winning game four, having used it at home crowd, I was at game three. It was loud. It was <laughs> the loudest I've ever seen at the arena, even pre-days to when they were in the Bradley Center. So using that crowd's energy, I don't think it's going to be in terms of rattling Phoenix. But I think it's just going to give the Bucks a major boost. So I think continuing to defend home court as best as they can. Other things I saw in Game 3, I think they have a tendency to kind of just decide we're just going to give Brook Lopez or Giannis the ball and we're going to let them work down low. When Aiden's out, they, Frank Kaminsky isn't going to do the job. So we're just going to do that. And when we get the chance to go on a fast-break opportunity – Someone's always going to be in the corner, whether it's Pat Connaughton, whether it's P.J. Tucker, maybe have Bobby Portis when he's on in the game trailing behind him. Just work with that and make, just making smarter decisions. Um, Giannis only having one turnover. The team kind of making sure they reduce the turnovers that they had as much as they can. So I think making smarter decisions on offense. And hopefully you get a full good game from Chris Middleton, just like you did with Drew Holiday. All right, so fill in the blank for us here. The Milwaukee Bucks will be the NBA champion in blank games, and blank will be the finals MVP. I said before the series started, Milwaukee will win in seven games. I'm standing hey. by it. And, <laughs> I mean, there's no way it can't be honest if that happens. I mean, he's got 41 points in game three, 40 points in game two. Even in game one, he had 20 and 17. Like, if Milwaukee wins the series, Giannis is an automatic shoe in four finals MVP. And I, I think that would be the greatest achievement of the Milwaukee Bucks as a franchise if they can win this title or even a title with Giannis leading it. So Bobby Portis no shot in MVP? I love Bobby Portis as much as the other person unless he starts coming out hitting 40 point, getting 40 point games. I'm not liking the odds. Maybe Chris Middleton gets hot again, but no, it's got to be Giannis. Like he's been, he exemplifies what Milwaukee is. He's been leading them not only on the court, but off the court. You saw that video of him trying to get his teammates into it and amp them up. I, I think it's, yeah, it's got to be honest, unless, like I said, something bad happened to him and then something, and then someone else stepped up. Okay. Yeah, I was saying that to a friend a couple of days ago that if you were to tell me in 2018 that two players from the Bulls would be in the finals in a couple of years playing significant minutes, <laughs> I would not have guessed campaign and Bobby Portis were the ones doing that. Yeah, it's definitely funny how that all works out. It's like, I was even saying three years ago, like, okay, so a team led by Giannis takes the finals. Okay, that makes sense. Chris Middleton, still the other guy. All right, cool. And they're going to have P.J. Tucker and Bobby Portis and, oh, Drew Holiday. I'd be like, how did that happen? That is quite the conflict. Matt Compton is being a key guy off the bench. That I would not have seen coming, even going into this year, is a guy like Pat Connaughton, who's played, he's played so well this postseason. So if you had told me, even last year, Going into this year, Pat Connors is going to be a key guy off the bench. I would have been worried. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to game four. Uh, Kyle, where where can people listen to your podcast? Where can they read your writing? Where can they, they find you on social media? Yeah, so you can go to brewhoop.com to find any of the writings that we do. Uh, you can follow us at brewhoop for our Twitter page. Otherwise, for me personally, you can go to Kyle Coche 
Uh, not only do I talk about the Bucks, there's a lot of soccer talk as well. So if you could bear through all that, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's fall, so. <laughs> there we go. Kyle Carr, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. No oh, yeah. problem. Thanks for having me. All right, I want to thank Kyle for coming on. Always fun talking with him. And uh, he had some good things to say about the Milwaukee Bucks, as expected. Oh, yeah. As expected, he's pleased with game three. So um, I know he's going to be happy about game four on uh, Wednesday. And I'm looking forward to it, too. All right, before we end the podcast, Zach, what is NBA Twitter talking about this week? What it do, baby? Yeah. Ooh-wee. So Twitter was buzzing for Cameron yes. Johnson. They were buzzing because he put P.J. Tucker to rest in game three by posterizing that man. And all the memes that came from P.J. Tucker being shocked that it wasn't a charge call when he got dunked on, man, yep. oh, man. <laughs> that was the dunk heard around the world, yes. to be honest. That was uh, The pictures were great. And the memes were great. And the fact that it came from Cam Johnson was kind of wild. I don't think anyone thought he had that in him. It gave the sun some energy. I'm telling you, actually, at one point in that yeah. game, I, I was turned. I wasn't rooting for Phoenix, but I was definitely <laughs> turned up for that dog. He got me out of my seat. I'm listen. I'm glad it wasn't called a charge because it would have negated everything cool. And I, if we're talking conspiracies, NBA Adam Silver absolutely stepped in. Right <laughs> you better not call that a charge. You. <laughs> Better not call that a charge because that is staying on the highlight reel. Yes, and it had exactly right. Get more people involved, get more viewers, and that's what you want to see in terms of this uh, late, late NBA finals that we're in right now. Yes, absolutely. Let's see what else is going on. We got Giannis's outfit, and I know you tweeted about this. <laughs> Giannis's outfit before game three. What was it? Why was it so good? Listen, Giannis chose violence. It's not the simple fact that the outfit was good. Because Giannis is a 200 million plus million dollar man, you know what I'm saying? But he went out there as all black Air Force Ones, <laughs> looking like Patrick Beverly out there or something. And you know that equity that that you know came to that performance that we saw from Giannis, the 41 point performance that he went out there and had. Got to wear them again. You got to wear the you got to wear the all black Air Force Ones for the rest <laughs> of the NBA Finals <laughs> coming into the game. Them off. He should play and, in them. And I don't know if you saw Devin Booker's outfit, but I will. I think yeah. that's the reason why they lost the game wow. because his outfit coming into the game, it wasn't all that. You know, he normally comes. Yeah. He's in Phoenix, comes out there, you know, dripping. You know, I got all the nice little drip on. You know, obviously got the penny, the car. You know, what I'm saying the nice cars. He ain't come out like that in Milwaukee. He was a little boring out there. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I, I think Devin has been making high has been making headlines for how he's shown up with his outfit in a car and a really cool car. So Giannis needed to get on board, and I think it it worked well for him. I think if he doesn't do something like that for Game Four, he has no one to blame but himself if he loses Game Four at that point. Oh, you know finally, Zach. <laughs> finally, finally, before we go, the Orlando Magic have a new yeah. head coach, as reported by our own Sham Sharania, Jamal Mosley. Former Mavs and Cavs assistant coach. He was the uh, Cavs assistant coach from 2010 to 2014 and was with the Mavs for seven years from 2014 to 2021. And now he is a head coach in the NBA with the Orlando Magic. A lot of experience as an assistant, was on some pretty good teams under some pretty good head coaches. Yeah. Kind of like it. I like it for the Magic. It looks like they're just starting anew. 
yeah, you know, starting starting new, starting fresh with uh, their young roster, very young roster, you know, very young roster. And so we'll see what he'll be able to do with them. Uh, it'll be a challenge. You know, I don't expect a lot of success early on from the Orlando Magic, but who knows, right? He may put in, you know, some confidence in, you know, his young guys to really try to make some noise and maybe be like the, uh, I don't know, the Atlanta Hawks. You know, he can probably groom those guys to be, you know, as confident, as talented, you know, as that team. Yeah, I think that the, the fact that they got rid of everyone in the deadline yep. show that they're trying to start new. They have a lot of young talent. It'll be good. It, it, they're a team that, what, by, 10 years ago, only 10 years ago, was like a finals contender. That's Mr. White Howard and <laughs> Jameer Nelson and Hito Turgaloo. I mean, they had that lineup that was a lot of fun to watch, and they were really the pioneers of the NBA today in terms of spreading out the offense, just shooting a ton of threes, Yes. And beating teams up with with your three point shots. So they started in Orlando and maybe they'll start another phase or uh, another trend with with the new coach and the young team. Exactly. So that's going to conclude this edition of Points in the Pain podcast presented by who? Stadium, of course. We want to thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe on YouTube to watch these podcast yes indeed i said that watch the podcast i know for some lovely faces see our lovely faces (laughs) so i know for some that may sound weird to watch a podcast such as myself now (laughs) but you can also listen wherever you get your podcast Uh, follow us both respectively on our twitter handles follow points paint on facebook and twitter make sure you follow shams for all your nba news around the association catch eddie and felder with trash and treasure and if you want to make you some money top dollar you better pay attention and subscribe and listen to sharp lessons where they drop heat in terms of your guaranteed bets i know rizzo was on fire for a point in time they have great guests they just had someone from DraftKings on Super exciting, super excited for those guys. My boy, Ben Wittenstein, Nate Jacobson, and like I said, Michael Rizzo. And you will hear from us on Points in the Pain podcast next week. <laughs>